Turn your Bibles once again to Matthew 13, verse 51, and that's again on page 1128 in the Pew Bible. Again, page 1128, Matthew 13, verse 51. We return this morning to the lakeside town of Capernaum. And Jesus has recently dismissed the crowds and is now in Peter's house. And there, as Jesus is gathered with his disciples, he delivers the last parable in this very important section. Today we will hear Jesus give his parable of the homeowner. At this point, Jesus has delivered a series of seven parables. And these parables have served a dual function. As Jesus explained, they have both revealed and concealed the mysteries or secrets of the kingdom. For those who have received Jesus as the Messianic King, he would reveal to them the secrets of the kingdom. But for those who rejected Christ and therefore have not entered into his kingdom, from these Jesus will conceal the secrets of the kingdom. Even though Jesus is now alone with his disciples, he, for his own reasons, continues to speak to his disciples in parables. And Jesus gives now the last parable of this important section. It is the parable of the homeowner. When we finish this parable, we will also have completed our study of this section, which is known as the parabolic discourse. As a reminder, Matthew has structured his gospel in such a way that it is built around five discourses, a discourse being an extended teaching delivered by Jesus. The first discourse was the Sermon on the Mount. The second discourse was the missionary discourse. But let's bear in mind that all of Christ's teachings center on the kingdom of God. And in much of his teaching, it was necessary for Jesus to correct the many mistaken beliefs that Israel had about the kingdom, and how to enter that kingdom. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus demonstrated that the righteousness that God seeks is not an external obedience to the law. Instead, true righteousness begins in the heart. In this discourse, the parabolic discourse, Jesus continues to speak about the kingdom of God. But as just mentioned, he employs now a strategy 
to reveal his secrets about the kingdom only to those who have entered it through faith. And in this discourse, Jesus continues to correct many false notions that Israel held about the kingdom. For example, even his disciples had believed that when the Messiah arrived, all the wicked would be immediately destroyed. But among the secrets that Jesus would reveal in this series of seven parables is that both the wicked and the righteous would live side by side, at least temporarily, much like wheat and weeds grow together. The weeds would be allowed to continue in the hope that the weeds would be converted into wheat. But let's get back to this structural overview because it's going to help us see where we are in Matthew's gospel and where we're heading. If we'll take a glance now at Matthew 13, verse 53, we'll see an editorial comment from Matthew, and he signals that he has now arrived at the end of this section, this parabolic discourse. Verse 53 says this, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. And so Jesus will now leave Capernaum for his hometown of Nazareth. Things will not go well for the people of Nazareth, but more on that in the weeks ahead. The next discourse, or extended teaching, will not occur until Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus will deliver his discourse on the church. And after that, in a later chapter, he will give his discourse on the end times. But between this point and the next discourse, we will travel with Jesus as he continues to do as he's done in the past. He will teach and perform miracles. In the weeks ahead, we will see Jesus perform such miracles as feeding the 5,000. We will watch Jesus walk on water. And as he goes, he will continue to teach. All the while, the ongoing confrontation that he has with the scribes and Pharisees will continue to escalate. But again, for today, our focus is on the last parable in this section, this parabolic discourse. And our focus today is on the parable of the homeowner. But before we continue, a quick clarification. All during our study of this discourse, I've been saying over and over that Jesus delivers seven parables concerning the kingdom of God. But now, with the parable of the homeowner, we seem to have eight. And you may be wondering, well, what gives? You said seven parables, now here's an eighth parable. Here's the explanation. For the seven parables that we've studied, from the parable of the sower, 
who sowed his seed on different kinds of soils, all the way to the parable of the dragnet, all seven parables were about the kingdom of heaven. As an example, let's look at verse 47, and that is the parable that we looked at last time. At at verse 47, Jesus says this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like, he's drawing a comparison, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind. And so each of the seven parables revealed some aspect of the kingdom of God, Christ's kingdom. This kingdom, of course, was inaugurated when Jesus came, but this kingdom will come in complete fullness when he comes again. But now, let's look at verse 51 and following, because what we will see in today's parable is that today's parable has a different focus. Look, please, at verse 51. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? Well, that in itself tells us that those seven parables are to be understood as a distinct unit. The disciples then go on to reply to Jesus' question by saying, Yes, Lord. And we'll examine their reply in just a moment. But for now, let's go on to the next verse, verse 52, so we can identify what is the focus of this parable. Verse 52, then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder or a homeowner who does what? He brings out of his treasure things new and old. And so you see, this parable is not about the kingdom itself. It's about those who have received instruction about the kingdom. In other words, this parable is about those who have learned the secrets of the kingdom. And as a result, what is now expected of those who have received these secrets? Let's circle back to verse 51 and examine this passage. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Now, we might find the response from the disciples a bit surprising, especially given the sweeping nature of Jesus' question. He asked them, Have you understood all these things? That is, have you understood the significance of the seven parables you've just been given? That is, Do you understand the mysteries of the kingdom that I've revealed to you through these parables, through these illustrations? And the response from the disciples, swift, confident. Yes, they say. Perhaps a more nuanced and cautious response would have been wiser. Something like, Lord, I I think we got most of it, but there's a couple areas that maybe you could clarify for us. Instead, they quickly and confidently respond by simply saying, yes, as if to say, yep, we've got it. 
And that response is a bit surprising because in the following chapters, we will hear Jesus admonish his disciples for their dullness and for their slowness to understand. But for right now, what is most important as we hear the disciples answer is that Jesus accepts their reply as genuine. He doesn't reprove them, doesn't correct them. It would appear that they understood what Jesus taught according to their ability at this point. Oh, they had a great deal to learn still. But Jesus knew their hearts and minds. And he's satisfied with their answer. And I think we can know why he's satisfied with their answer. Let's look back at Matthew 13, verse 10. Back at verse 10, the disciples, they came to Jesus and asked, Why do you speak to them, meaning the unbelieving crowd, Why do you speak to them in parables? Let's look carefully at Jesus' response at verse 11. He answered and said to his disciples, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. Notice, it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. You see, the disciples would come to know the secrets of the kingdom, not because they were smarter than the crowds, not because they were wiser than the scribes and Pharisees. Instead, this knowledge, this understanding was given to them. It's a divine gift. It's a gift to those who receive Christ in faith. Look also at verse 16. Now, just prior to 16, if you glance up there, Jesus spoke about non-believers who says that because of their calloused hearts, who have no interest in Jesus, Jesus says their eyes could not see, their ears could not hear. But then at verse 16, Jesus says this to his disciples, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears, for they hear. The key word there is blessed, isn't it? To be blessed with spiritual understanding is to be the recipient of a divine gift. You cannot be blessed without a blessor. You cannot receive a gift. You cannot receive a blessing unless there is someone to do the blessing. That blessing is God. It is God who gives understanding. Now, this blessed gift does not mean we are excused from diligent study. Neither do we set aside our God-given intellect as we pursue Scripture. But it does mean that we must always praise God for what He has revealed to us. It does mean that we must always follow the example of the disciples. You see, when they did not understand, what did they do? They went to the only one who could provide understanding. Look again at verse 36. The disciples come to Jesus and they humbly say to him, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. 
And when we ask God for understanding, he will give it to us when we humbly ask. And so as the disciples answer, yes, Lord, we cannot dismiss their answer as a presumptuous overconfidence. While it is unlikely that they have fully grasped every nuance of the parables, it is certainly the case that they are growing in their understanding. They're growing in their knowledge. Now listen, in regard to this growing understanding, James Boyce makes an important point. He tells us that even as we diligently study God's Word, we will not, in this lifetime, ever fully understand every aspect of God's kingdom or of God's Word. We cannot fully expect to grasp every mystery, every secret of the kingdom. But here's the important part. For those areas that we have grasped, for those mysteries that Jesus has taught us, and he asks us, do you understand? And we can say, yes, Lord. That understanding that he has given us comes with an important responsibility. We must act on what we do know. As James would later put it, we must not be merely hearers of the word, but doers of it. And that is precisely the point that Jesus will now make. You see, the point of this parable is that if we are the citizens of Christ's kingdom because of faith in Jesus Christ, and we have been given knowledge about the kingdom, we must now act on that knowledge. And how do we do that? Well, here's the short answer. By telling others about Christ's kingdom and how one enters it. Let's look, please, at verse 52. Then Jesus said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder, a homeowner, who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Notice the word therefore. Jesus is making a connection. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples, in effect, is this. Since you understand what has been taught about the kingdom, listen to this illustration as I tell you what you must now do with that knowledge. And so if you look again at verse 52, Jesus says, if it is the case that, yes, you do understand some of these mysteries of the kingdom, as I've described in these parables, therefore, Every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings out of his treasure things new and old. You see what's happening here? What Jesus expects of his disciples, both then and now, is to bring out, to share what we've learned. Now, we're going to need to consider some of these key terms that Jesus uses in this parable in order for us to get the full impact of this parable. Jesus begins by speaking about 
every scribe. If you're looking at the NIV, you have every teacher of the law. Now, this is an unexpected reference to a scribe or a teacher of the law, because up to this point, every time we have heard Jesus reference the scribes or the teachers of the law, it has had a decidedly negative connotation. And that is because the scribes who are held up as the foremost teachers of the law, the experts in the law, they were in reality misleading the people. Now, as we've discussed numerous times, over the course of many centuries, the scribes had so corrupted God's law with their traditions and their many loopholes that they were no longer teaching God's law. They were teaching man's law. And the most dangerous part of this corrupted teaching is that the majority of Israel had come to believe that it was possible to earn your own salvation. You see, they lost sight of the foundational example of Abraham, who Scripture tells us believed God, and his faith was credited as righteousness. Instead, these blind guides of Israel taught that it was possible possible to achieve one's righteousness by one's own efforts. Of course, this was not possible. It was not the road to life. It was the broad road to destruction. There is only one who is righteous. It's Christ alone. But listen, as Jesus uses this term scribes or teachers of the law, Here, it's clear he's not referring to the corrupted scribes of rabbinical Judaism. He's instead referring to a new class of scribes. He's talking about a different category of teachers. He's talking about you and me. If we look again at verse 53, Jesus identifies the scribes he has in mind when he says this. Every scribe who has been instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven. Do you see who the scribes are? Those who have been instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven. Have you been instructed about the kingdom of heaven? Sure. Jesus has just given us seven parables about the kingdom. And so, for those of us who have been taught by Jesus, we are now authorized as teachers, to carry his kingdom message to the world. It is only those who have been taught by Christ who are authorized to proclaim the kingdom message. Now, of course, his chosen apostles, they have a special, or they had a special, unique, and unrepeatable authority as scribes and teachers. But there can be no doubt that this role of teacher is not limited to the apostles, nor is it limited to those who stand at a pulpit. You see, this parable anticipates the upcoming command that we refer to as the Great Commission. Jesus tells his disciples, his followers, us of every generation, to go and make disciples. 
we are called to teach others about Christ and his kingdom and how it must be entered through faith in Christ alone. So now that we've identified who Jesus is, when he refers to scribes, he's speaking about believers, Christian believers, we can now examine the parable of the homeowner. Jesus is saying that the Christian who has been instructed about the kingdom is like a householder, a homeowner who brings out of his treasure things new and old. And so the picture that he is drawing is of a homeowner who goes to his or her storeroom and brings out food, brings out clothes, brings out whatever whatever is necessary to provide for their household. Now, as we think of these items, such as food and clothes, it should be obvious to us that those things are the necessities of life. And as Jesus speaks about bringing the necessities of life out of one's storeroom, it is an excellent connection to the gospel because there is nothing more crucial, nothing more necessary to life than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, the Greek word that is translated for us here as treasure, or perhaps better yet, treasury, in the New King James, and as storeroom, in the NIV you have store, bring, bring out of one's storeroom, the Greek word there is interesting. The Greek word there is thesaurus, thesaurus. In the 1800s, an Englishman by the name of Roger, as in Roger's thesaurus, Roger released a book that grouped together words that were similar in meaning. And he called his work a thesaurus because it served as a treasury of words. As Jesus speaks to those who have received instruction concerning the kingdom of heaven, he is saying that we have stored up in our hearts in our minds, a treasury of vitally important words. Why? Because we have been given the words of life. And out of this storeroom, we are meant to bring it out for the purpose of sharing it. Now, there's something very important that needs to be emphasized about this treasury, this storeroom. The kingdom knowledge that we have stored in our minds and hearts, it's not meant to be ogled over. You see, the kingdom truths that Jesus has given us, they're not meant to be ogled over like a wealthy miser lovingly stares at his pile of gold coins. That's not how we are to behave with our storeroom. You see, the spiritual treasury that we've been given, it's not meant for storing up. It's meant as a temporary holding place for the purpose of bringing it out, of sharing it. Do you see that in the text? I do. Let's look at it again. Jesus says that the Christian who is instructed about the kingdom is like a homeowner who what? Brings out of his treasury, things new 
and old. I believe this imagery presents a caution for us. As we learn about God and his goodness, it is right to do as Mary did. When Mary was told about all that God would do in the person of Jesus Christ, the scripture tells us that she treasured up all these things in her heart. Remember that from the birth narrative? Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. But here's the caution. We don't want to conduct ourselves in such a way that we spend a lifetime collecting up our knowledge, studying the scripture, only to store it up, to stack it for ourselves. You see, this treasury is meant to be shared. It's meant to be brought out of the storeroom. And yet many are reluctant to bring it out, to share the life-saving, the life-giving words of Christ. No, not because of greed, as if we want to keep it all for ourselves. Instead, I think the reluctance that affects so many of us is because we are reluctant to bring it out because of fear. Here's why. We mistakenly believe that we've got to know all things before we can speak knowledgeably about Christ. You see, many of us fear that we might be asked a question that we might not know the answer to. But let's remember, on this side of heaven, we will not know all there is to know about Christ and his kingdom. Listen to what Paul declares at Romans 11. He says, how unsearchable are his judgments. His ways are past finding out. Who can know the mind of the Lord? But remember what James Boyce said earlier. What we do know, we are to act upon. What we do know, we are to put into action. I'm reminded of that blind man who was healed by Jesus And after he was healed, he was peppered by the crowds and the experts with all kinds of questions about who this Jesus is. How did this healing occur? We want to know. We want answers. And he finally declared, in effect, I don't know about all that, but this I do know. I once was blind, but now I see. It's that simple, folks. What we do know, we are to proclaim. We are to bring it out of our treasury. Share it. Let me ask you this. Do you know that there's no other name under heaven by which we may be saved? Then you are qualified to bring that out of your treasury. Do you know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? That whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know about that? And you are authorized to bring that out of your treasury. What you do know, you are to bring it out and share it, not simply stack it up. Now, there's one more aspect about Jesus' parable that needs to be examined. Jesus says that his disciples are to bring out of their treasury things both new and old. 
What the followers of Christ were and are called to do as kingdom scribes stands in great contrast to what the rabbinic scribes of Israel were able or not able to do. You see, the Jewish teachers of the law could only speak about the kingdom of heaven in ways that were old, in the sense ways that were revealed to them through the what we call the Old Testament. They could only speak in terms that were revealed in the pages of the Old Testament. Now, the revelation that was available to these scribes, it's crucially important, and it remains crucially important to us. But it's incomplete. But with Christ, the revelation of the kingdom is made complete. The followers of Christ, who because of their faith have ears to hear and eyes to see, have access to secrets that are unveilable, that are unknown to the rabbinic scribes. You see, for those who refuse Christ and exclude themselves from the kingdom, these secrets are concealed. But for those who believe, and our eyes are opened, our ears are opened, these secrets are revealed to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are given secrets, both old and new. Now, as we think about these kingdom truths, described by Jesus as new and old, let's make an observation about this description. Notice that Jesus does not speak about bringing out the kingdom truths that are new rather than the old. Let me say that again. Jesus doesn't say, bring out the new truths rather than the old. Doesn't he say, bring out truths both old and new? Which emphasizes the fact that in no way do the revelations that Christ bring cancel or write off the truths of the Old Testament. Instead, we should remember what Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. What did he come to do? To fulfill. He says, I came to fulfill. You see, the promises of the Old Testament, he has come to fulfill the promises of God and his kingdom. See, while we are blessed with God's divine revelation, Because we have available to us the scripture of the New Testament, we must never neglect the Old Testament. The kingdom truths revealed by Christ in the New Testament are best understood when they are held together through what God told us through his prophets in the Old Testament. And so I would suggest to you, as we are thinking about Christ telling us, we who have been instructed about the kingdom that we are to bring out of our treasury things both new and old. And I suggest that one aspect about which we are to declare is that God's kingdom promises are fulfilled in Christ. 
Allow me to finish this morning with this declaration that is made by the Apostle Paul, who affirms this very point. Paul said this at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul declares triumphantly. Listen to this. Paul says, All the promises of God are yes in Christ. Friends, there is so much to bring out of our God-given treasury. But if there is only one thing that we could bring out, let it be this. All, all, all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us to open the door of our hearts and minds. Give us the opportunity to bring out of our treasury, no matter how little that may be or how great that be, the good news of Jesus Christ and his kingdom in the hope and the expectation that you would draw more into those gates the gates that lead to life. Amen.